Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy Super Tuesday to you. And depending on which calendar you use, happy first day of spring. I mean, I realize yesterday technically would have been considered the first day of spring for some. I think it happens at sundown or it, anyway. Um, I've always used the 21st as my summer days and winter days and spring days and whatever. But like, so like the first day of December or 21st of December is the first day of winter, 21st of March, first day of spring, 21st of June, first day of summer, 21st of September, first day of autumn. But I realized that, you know, you track it any way you want to. But to this, it is definitely Tuesday. We have determined that. And coming up this hour, you're going to hear a conversation I recorded not too long ago about a brand new book that has been a life changer for me. Uh, not just a game changer, a life changer for me, written by pastor and author John Bevere. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you listen to the interview, uh, you're going to hear me say very little and let Pastor John say everything he needs to say. You can watch the video on myhopenow.com. His schedule's really busy, and so we had to record it a couple weeks ago. But it, it talks about something that is um, the thesis of the story. It is something that I think could be a game changer in terms of the way we do ministry, the way we do evangelism, the way we do everything. And it's so prevalent in our current culture that uh, it talk about hiding in plain sight. Okay, It is Super Tuesday today, and of course Super Tuesday is the day we always like to talk about po politics. Um, well, okay, maybe we don't always like to talk about them, but we need to talk about them. And there's been a lot in the news recently about nepotism. Something that I think in days gone by wasn't always seen as a bad thing. It was kind of expected. The super wealthy family uh, would provide things to their kids because they could, and provided they were not gotten with ill-gotten gain, well, there you go. But families have always helped families. I mean, sometimes families give help in a tangible way that actually does, in fact, help the family member. Uh, sometimes the best help that a family could give, I'll be perfectly honest with you. When I look at some of the gifts that I did not get growing up, they were more beneficial than if I had gotten the gifts. I know my kids would say the same thing. When uh, their mom and I went through a lot of financial hardships when we were younger, I worked in Christian broadcasting, didn't pay a lot, we didn't have a lot of uh, resourcing. So when it came time for college, there was no quote-unquote college fund. All three of the kids had to find a way to pay for college, find a way to buy a car. They all worked their way through school. And I know that they would say, on the one hand, it was frustrating watching their friends get cars and, you know, that type of stuff. But I'll never forget sitting with my daughters one time. They were both in their early 20s. They had both purchased their first cars. Uh, one was purchased late model used and one was purchased brand new. And they said, you know how gratifying it is to know that we bought our cars and our kids, our friends had their parents buying theirs and they're not really their cars. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, there's a certain... I wanted to say, yeah, that makes me father of the year. I mean, I really wish that was the brilliant master strategy, but it seemed to work out better for them in the long run. And that first car that Emily, my oldest, bought, my goodness, she drove that thing into the ground. I think, let's see, she got it in the summer of 2008 or maybe it was 2009, I don't remember. That's 2008. And she just sold it last summer. She paid that thing off, put 150,000 miles on it over 14 years. And, man, it needed to be retired, that's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, we see this in Hollywood. You know, the famous actor gives his or her you know, son a job or daughter or whatever. 
We're seeing it more in politics, and it is kind of a little snarky, a little weird. But when you see it happen in the way that this next story happened, well, then you have to ask the question, why did this happen? Now, I understand that you could be running for office, and you could have a family member, son, daughter, spouse, who works in a certain industry that might actually help and benefit your campaign, and so you might want to hire them to do some work for you. But when you look at what the job is, it better be something that is a necessary job and something that, you know, justifies the actual cost. I saw the headline, LA Congresswoman pays her daughter more than a million dollars of campaign funds. And I went, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Okay. Okay. Hang on a second. Um, this is the story. The, the, the Congresswoman involved is Maxine Waters, California Democrat from the LA area. Her daughter is Karen Waters, and apparently over the past two decades, Maxine Waters has paid her daughter over $1.2 million to work on her campaigns. Fox News Digital reviewed the Federal Election Commission filings for all of the different election cycles, and we're talking uh, the presidential cycles in 20, well, let's see, 2004, 2008, 12, 16, 20 and then the midterm cycles leading up to 2022. So if you take the $1.2 million, that goes back to 2004. So it's over about a 20-year period. Does, I mean, again, I'm not trying to minimize this. I'm just trying to get, you know, uh, <laughs> why this is happening. Apparently, Maxine Waters has been paying her daughter Karen to run something is called the Slate Mailer or an endorsement mailer. This is something that is sent out to constituents in the L.A. area. It's something that happens locally. You get these all the time around election times. And let's face it, it doesn't matter what party you are, you don't like them. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't like them because we get so many of them. One organization will put together, what they do is they put together a, a mailer that's got the pictures of six different candidates on the card. And then it says, hey, if you're a Democrat, or you're, a, you're an independent, you're a Republican in Southern California, here's who you want to vote for. Or these five initiatives. Vote yes on Prop 2 and no on Prop 3 or whatever it is. And we get them all the time. It's seen as something that is helpful. And in California, the slate mailer is pretty much commonplace. I don't know how many other states use them, but California basically does. In other words, what you're doing for all intents and purposes, is you are using the campaign chutzpah, mojo, if you will, of one candidate to pay for backing for another in an election. So if you are a California congressperson, like a congresswoman like Maxine Waters, and there's somebody running down ticket for state assembly or state senate or dog catcher or... I don't know why dog catcher always shows up. Do we even have elections for dog catchers? Anyway city council, this, that, and the other thing, the slate mailer comes together, and for all intents and purposes, the candidate who's got the most chutzpah can say to the other candidates down the road, hey, if you want to help pay for the cost of this mailer, we'll put all our names on here together, and for all intents and purposes, you get to do that. Well, you may not be aware of this, but when you see this happen locally, you think, okay, that's fine. That's for the local elections. It's no big deal. But in 2004, Maxine Waters petitioned the Federal Election Commission to see if they could do that on a federal level. 
and she got the green light to do it. Now, it is legal for federal lawmakers to employ family members to work on their campaigns. But there's kind of an unwritten rule that says, yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, Maxine Waters paying her daughter $1.1 million to run the slate mailers it's a little deceiving in the sense that of that $1.2 million dating back to 2004, almost 200000 of it happened in the midterm elections this last time. Over the period of January, 21, uh, January 2021 through December 2022, uh, Karen Waters pocketed $192,300 to keep the slate mailer operation afloat. Now, that setup involves outside campaigns paying Waters' campaign to appear on their slate mailers. Did you catch that? So you don't necessarily need to have the actual endorsement of the candidate if you're willing to pay for it and Maxine Waters wants to send out a mailer, it's good for her because it gets her face and name in front of potential voters, but it also, you're basically selling your influence. That starts to get a little dicey. Both sides do it, by the way, and I don't like it for either side. But then for her to make two hundred thousand about a hundred thousand dollars a year to make sure the slate well, they're not the slate mailers were going out mostly during election time. Uh, Republicans are now aiming to put a ban on this happening, the whole family thing. And here's part of the reason why. The Maxine Waters one point one million dollars is a drop in the bucket compared to Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Remember she had the guy who was a campaign manager and then it turned out she was actually married to him. And oh, by the way, he made $2.9 million from her campaign. It's interesting to see, and we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can see how it all breaks down. 24000 here, 50000 there. And it just kind of leaves the whole election process feeling a little bit slimy. That the candidates get together and they basically agree who's going to buy what for somebody else and, you know, paying for influence there. Not really sure I like it. But it's amazing how many people will actually go for it and actually, I guess, fall for it, as it were. So many people have lost respect for the election cycle and the election process. I can understand why a lot of people don't want to do it anymore. It just, it, it doesn't, we, we used to think of this nation as being so great and wonderful and virtuous, and now we realize yeah, maybe it's becoming more like other nations. That may be true for the United States of America, but God forbid it ever become true for people of the Christian faith. May we never lose our awe and wonder of our Heavenly Father. We talk about, you know, that song, that Rich Mullins song, Our God is an awesome God, He reigns. Um, heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Um what does it mean to live in the awe of God? What does awe mean? It means basically, short answer, having a healthy fear of him. But I don't want to be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear, Roger. What are you talking about? Well, I mentioned at the start of the program, Pastor John Bevere has written a book on this topic. It's called The Awe of God, The Astounding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. He and I recently had a conversation about this book. We're going to hear it on the other side of this break, and it will change you. I guarantee it. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. 
You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a look at a word that is used with God and often, I think, just kind of blown out of proportion because the culture does not really know what it is. Maybe we talk about things that are amazing or awesome. And yet for us as Christians, when we talk about the awe of God, there's a lot more to it than just everything is happening that's all really well and good. And joining me today here on The Bottom Line is the author of a brand new book called The Awe of God, The Astounding Way, A Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The author is John Bevere, a minister known for his bold and uncompromising approach to God's Word international best-selling author. More than 20 books have sold millions of copies. And the thing that blows me away is they've been translated into 129 different languages. Uh, John Bevere, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, it's a pleasure to be on the show. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing. You are really, really uplifting a lot of people. Well, thank you for that. And I know you and your wife, Lisa, are doing the same with Messenger International and the Messenger X app and uh, the millions of people who have benefited uh, from the work that you're doing there. Let's talk about this new book, though, because you're taking on a topic that I think for a lot of people, George Barnett and I were just having this discussion the other day about the number of people who have a biblical worldview and really not a lot of people who profess faith in God really do understand what that fully means. You're getting into some deep weeds here with talking about the fear of God. And I thought, well, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say perfect love casts out fear? What, what specifically are you trying to get us to see? So there's over 200 references in the Bible that we are encouraged to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, let me first of all say this, has absolutely nothing to do with being scared of God and withdrawing mm -hmm. from Him. It's mm -hmm. actually the starting place for an intimate relationship with God. So how about that for a uh, counterintuitive type idea? But okay. yet, it's not just an idea, it's the absolute truth. And that is God says, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. And then we are also told in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God intimately. Now, we have, you talking about George Barna, I absolutely love his research and I'm so grateful for him. But he has discovered that in the last 23 years, excuse yeah, last 23 years, over 23 million Americans have walked away from the faith. Mm. Staggering. That is staggering. Almost every one of them are now professing agnostics, atheists, and spiritualists. Mm. What has caused this? It's our lack of preaching the fear of the Lord or teaching the fear of the Lord, because there's a balance. If you look at the love of God and the fear of God, they keep us on the road to life. Both mm -hmm. are equally important. The love of God keeps us from the ditch of legalism 
When we were in a, in, in a legalistic ditch as a church, we found out our father loved us, that he was a good God. It mm-hmm. delivered us from legalism, but we went to the other side of the road and fell into the other ditch, and that's called lawlessness or an excessive fleshly worldly lifestyle. Now, the fear of the Lord is what protects us from that. But now what is it? What is the fear of God? <clears throat> the fear of God is when we honor, esteem, reverence, respect, venerate him above everything and everyone else. So in other words, he takes the proper place in our hearts. We have an enormous amount of honor for his presence, and we even tremble at his presence. Mm. Look at the Bible. We are told in Isaiah 33, verse 6, that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. We are told in Isaiah 11, 3, that it is Jesus's delight. Now stop and think about that. God's treasure Jesus's delight. Then you come into the New Testament and Paul the Apostle makes the statement that we work out our salvation. Now, now stop and think about this work out. That means we bring it to completion, our salvation through fear and trembling, not through love and kindness. Hmm. If we're not teaching the fear of the Lord, because we've almost preached a grace in the church that actually pushes the fear of the Lord out of reach. Right. If we don't do that, what happens is the back door of the church is wide open. In other words, we have it. It's so easy for people to walk away because if the fear of the Lord, which it is, is the beginning of knowing God intimately, well, then what happens? I have come to know a God or a Lord Jesus that may not be the Lord Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Mm, If I don't have a holy fear for him, I now, as Paul said to the Corinthian church, who was a very fleshly, worldly lifestyle church, he said, you tolerate anything that anybody preaches to you, even if they preach a different Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So in other words, he didn't say a different God, a different Jesus. You know, Roger, I'll never forget, I'm sitting in a hotel waiting for my room to get ready in Hawaii, and I'm there for a conference, and a woman's there for a different conference because it's a massive hotel. And she found out I was a minister there to speak to Christian businessmen and women. And she started telling me all about Jesus. And Hmm. I knew within minutes, this woman really doesn't know the Jesus as revealed in scripture. And I'm sitting there and I said, Holy Spirit, what do I do? What do Hmm. I do? And he gave me an idea. So she's finished with her discourse about her Jesus and I said, hey, do you see that guy sitting across the pool? And I pointed him out. And I said, his name's Mark. He's a vegan. He's training for the U.S. Uh, swim team. And he's engaged that girl over there by the hot tub. Her name is Sarah. They're going to be married in three months. And she's like, oh, my gosh. How do you? She, she's a little surprised I changed the subject so abruptly from her. Mm-hmm. Jesus she was telling me about. She goes, how do you know him so well? Is he here at your conference? And I said, no, I've never met him. And then she looked at me. She went, What? I said, I've never met him. And now she's like, okay, is this guy CIA? Is he an investigator? (laughs) investigator?" Yeah. And I said, that's what I believe about him. Mm. I said, you just told me about a Jesus for for five minutes. That is not the Jesus revealed in the word of God. And I said, we can make up any kind of Jesus we want because he's invisible. I said, but the thing is, We want to know the real Lord Jesus Christ. And I look at the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord is what has brought me into knowing God intimately. Yes. I'll never forget when a presence of God came into 
Uh, I was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. It was the largest Bible school in the nation, but pastors and believers had come from all over Malaysia and around Southeast Asia for the meetings. The auditorium was packed, and this presence came in, Brian. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And the presence was frightening, yet I was drawn to it. Now, this really sounds weird. The authority of that presence was so strong that I had the thought, John Bevere, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. Mm. Now, would that have happened? I don't know. But there was a man and a wife who brought an offering to their local church in Acts chapter 5 who came in with irreverence, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they buried them before the day was out. I knew that irreverence would not be tolerated in this presence. Mm -hmm. Yet, even though I'm I'm literally terrified and almost terrified, I'm so drawn to it. And that's when I discovered there was a difference between my head and my heart. Mm -hmm. And because my head was going, I can't handle this. My heart was going, God, please don't lift. Please don't lift. Please, 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 Lord, we need you. And I remember it lasted about five minutes. And I mean, the people were weeping profusely. Wow. It was like they were being baptized in fire. That's huh. the only way I know how to describe it. And I'll never forget. And I, this, this was the second time I experienced it. I experienced it two years earlier in the nation of Brazil in a national conference. And I remember the leader in, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, he got up at the end and he said, you know, normally we'd end with a song and dismiss. I can't close this service. So all of us, I mean, this is this is a packed out arena, uh, not mm -hmm. arena, it was mm -hmm. an auditorium. And I remember I stayed for quite a while and I, and I, and I left quietly because there were still people all over on the faces on the floor, just worshiping God. And I'm walking out and this couple stops me at the at the back of the auditorium. And they're from the nation of India. And, and, and they both got nailed by this presence. I mean, she was hmm. weeping, right? Wow. wow. And we're just staring at each other. And she looks at me and she goes, I feel so clean inside. Hmm. I said, okay, that describes it. That's what I sensed two years ago in Brazil. That's what I sensed that one time in California, that one time in North Carolina. You just described it. Clean is the word. So I remember going back to my hotel room that Friday night. And I, I kept thinking, I feel clean. That's it. She nailed it. She nailed it. So the next morning, this is 1999. I'm getting ready to play basketball with the Bible school students, right? So mm -hmm. I'm putting on my gym shorts and I'm getting ready to go play basketball. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And he said, read Psalm 19. So I go over to Psalm 19. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to read in Psalm 19, but I just <laughs> go over there, right? I start reading verse one, two, three. I get down to verse nine and it says, the fear of the Lord is clean. And I went, oh my gosh, there it is. The, the fear of the Lord is clean. And mm. then the next, the next statement was, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Mm. The Holy wow. Spirit spoke to me right there in that hotel room. And he said, son, Lucifer led worship right before my throne. Mm. He beheld my full glory. He was anointed to do so. He didn't fear me. He did not endure forever. He said a third of the angels surrounded my throne. They beheld my unhindered glory. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure forever. He said Adam and Eve walked in the presence of my glory. Yeah. They did not fear me. 
they didn't endure forever. He said, son, every created being that surrounds my throne throughout eternity will have been tested in the holy fear of God. Yes. Now stop and think. 23 million Americans have walked away from the faith in the last 23 years. Incredible. Okay. That is one out of every 14 Americans. That's not one out of every 14 people in churches. That's one out of every 14 Americans. And they're now professed agnostics, atheists, and spiritualists. Okay, why? Because we have not preached and talked about the fear of the Lord. Yes, amen. Pastor John Bevere, powerful conversation today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Awe of God, The Astounding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. We do have a copy of the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We are having an awesome conversation with pastor and author John Bevere. His new book, The Awe of God, has just been revolutionary for me. The book is subtitled, The Astounding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. And we've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got one copy that we're giving away today. You really need to get in on this drawing to get this book. It has nothing but, I mean, hundreds of releases and all five-star ratings. People are loving this book. It's transformative. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by Pastor John Bevere is called The Awe of God, The Astounding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, more of this powerful conversation with John Bevere in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Well, welcome or welcome back to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's always good to have you along. Super Tuesday edition of the program. And today we are featuring a conversation that I recorded recently with pastor and author John Bevere. Uh, John is a favorite of Bottom Line Show listeners, has been for many years, along with his wife, Lisa. And John's new book is one that uh, when I picked up a copy of it, picked up a copy of it, I was just kind of gobsmacked. In fact, when John and I got the Zooms out ready to record, um, I was just kind of in awe. I mean, I literally just let him do as much of the talking as he possibly could. The book is called The Awe of God, The Astounding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy of the book right now, 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Let's get back into now part two, the conclusion of my conversation with Pastor John Bevere, discussing the awe of God and the astounding way a healthy fear of God transforms your life on today's edition of The Bottom Line. I look at the fear of the Lord, and it's what keeps me passionately seeking God. I'm in my 40th year of ministry. Hmm, Incredible. I have watched so many pastors who started in ministry, so passionate, so excited, so much loving Jesus, but yet they're not in ministry anymore today. And I'm talking about a good number. They burned out, they've shipwrecked. I remember when I was in a federal penitentiary and I was visiting one of the most famous evangelists on the planet. He had the largest ministry in the world in the 1980s. It's 1994. He had read the first book I writ, wrote, and he asked that I would come visit him in prison. Hmm. I remember walking into the prison. He, they bring him out. He's in all his prison garb. He said, are you John Bevere? I said, yes, I am, sir. Now, you got to remember, I'm looking at probably one of the most famous men on the planet for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Because then covered his trial and his you know, sentence every single day. Hmm. And I'll never forget. He said, he grabbed me and held me and wouldn't let me go. He said, I'm so thankful for this book you wrote. It's really touched my life. And he sat down, he looked at me and he said, John, this prison is not God's judgment on my life. It's his mercy. Hmm. I went, what? He said, if I would have continued to live the way I was living, I would have ended up in hell forever. I would have mm-hmm. been separated from God forever. And then he proceeded to tell me how Jesus came in. It, Jesus had d- delivered him through a person, his first year of prison. He said, there was so much evil in my life. So after he shared his whole story, how they spent every day, at least two to three hours in the word of God in their prison church that he wasn't even leading because he said, I'm a master manipulator and I am mm-hmm. not leading the church. I remember I looked at him and I said, at what point did you fall out of love with Jesus? I said, I saw you in the early 1980s when I was a young Christian. You wept as you preached. You had such a passion for Jesus and souls. When did you fall out of love with Jesus? And he looked at me and he said, I didn't. I went, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. You committed adultery in 1983. And I named the woman's name. And I said, You committed all this evil, this mail fraud, and all this stuff that you did for the next seven years. You yourself tell me that you get delivered from all this evil, and you're telling me you love Jesus the whole time? He said, yes, John, I did. And he sees the confusion on my face, Brian, and he goes, John, I'm sorry, Roger. He goes, John, I didn't fear God. Hmm. And I went, what did you say? He said, I loved Jesus the whole way through, but I didn't fear God. And then Roger, he said this to me. There are millions of Americans just like me. They love Jesus, but they don't fear God. So now they're loving an image of Jesus, but do they really know him? Hmm. I mean, because Jesus makes the statement that many are going to say, Lord, Lord, on judgment day. We did this. We did that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I didn't. I didn't. I never even knew who you were. 
you who practice lawlessness. So obviously there was no fear of God that kept them from the lawlessness. If you listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter two, he said, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now stop. Paul's talking to the Philippian church, but it's really God talking to us. So God's saying, as you have always obeyed, not only when you sense my presence, but even more so in my absence. So let's get a little look, a little closer to home here. It's easy to obey God when we're at the conference and the presence of God is beautiful and we're around right. a bunch of believers. What about 11 o'clock p.m. Wednesday night when we're surfing the web and we run across porn? Mm. Are we going to obey or are we going to engage? And as you've obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, which means bring your salvation to completion through fear and trembling. For mm. it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So here's the fear of the Lord that gives us the desire. Now, if you listen to Psalm 112, the psalmist says, how happy are those who fear the Lord, how joyful they are who keep your commandments. You got two people. For one person, it's drudgery to obey God. The other person, it's delightful to obey God. Now, why does this guy delight in obeying the commands? Because he's got the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord works in us the desire, both mm. the will and yes the ability to do his good pleasure. So my question, Roger, is why aren't we speaking about God's treasure? And why aren't we speaking more about Jesus, what Jesus delighted in? This is such a powerful topic of conversation. John Bevere has written a powerful book on this discussion. It's called The Awe of God, The Outstanding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, John, we've got only got a minute or so left in our time together, and I was would love for you to, can you give us the most concise exhortation you can as to why, I, you set it up so brilliantly early, or earlier about how many people love Jesus, but don't fear God. Talk about how the two of them really do go hand in glove, because it almost kind of seems like I have to do two different things, but it really is one act together. You know, Roger, there are a lot of people that love my wife. They love her because they've seen her on platforms. Mm -hmm. They've heard her on television. Lisa Bevere, they just they just go, oh, I love her so much. Yeah. But they don't know her. I know her. I know her better than any person probably on this planet. And, you know, I'm using her as an example. In that there are people that may have this idea of who Lisa Bevere is but they really don't know who she is, right. Right? right? So what happens is people will fall in love with a Jesus that they really don't know. So you that love can only go so far. I would marry this woman in a heartbeat tomorrow if I was given a chance. I'll bet. We have been married 41 years this year. Congratulations. She is so much more delightful to me today than the day I married her, because I know so much more about her today. I was actually a little nervous when we first got married. Yeah. So the depth of knowing her, I get the privilege of. 
And the more I know her, the more I love her. So the way the two relate is because the fear of the Lord is the doorway into knowing God intimately. Yes. The more we get to know this wonderful, amazing God, the more we deeply fall in love with him. Whereas if we only know him by reputation and what we read in words in a book or what a pastor preaches to us on a Sunday morning, but we really only know him as like a celebrity, we really don't know him. Then in really tough times, really tempting times, I'm going to fall away from him because I really don't know him. And that's the difference. Roger, I want people to come to know him intimately. Yes. And I want to see those 23 million come back in the faith. Yes. And so I believe that they can be reached. And I believe the holy fear of God will introduce them to the real Jesus. Well, this book is a great catalyst for helping us who are in the faith grow stronger in it, grow deeper in love with the Lord and with his father, our heavenly father. And John Bevere, I, I, such a compelling and captivating presentation. Thank you for being with us today. The book, The Awe of God, The Astounding Way, A Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life is up at thebottomlineshow.com. John, always a pleasure. Good to see you, sir. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Roger. Well, this is, as I mentioned before at the outset, that concludes my uh, conversation with Pastor John Bevere. We had a chance to record it on Zoom uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, in anticipation of the release of the book. And we've got video of this conversation as well up at myhelpnow.com. I really encourage you to check it out. If you want to watch me, just sit there uh, <laughs> and listen to John talk about um, how a healthy fear of God transforms your life. We've got a copy of this book, The Awe of God, up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we're talking about the brand new book by Pastor John Bevere, and that is called The Awe of God, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. Eight hundred two two seven five two seven eight. the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about California landscape, California geography, California land in general, and why is it that so many people, this is a, an issue for us as Christians who believe in biblical Christianity, that we were charged with the care of all God created, especially the environment. We don't have to be tree-hugging environmentalists. Uh, but we shouldn't be wasteful either. But we got a couple of stories to look at involving what's happening here in the Golden State that I think are worth paying attention to if for no other reason as Christians, we want to care for the creation that God has provided for us and a couple of dilemmas that we have, especially involving what's in the ground and also what comes from the sky. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to pastor and author John Bevere. His brand new book is called The Awe of God, The Outstanding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have one copy of this book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting to see how we in the body of Christ show our awe, our care and respect for God in so many ways we don't. Oftentimes 
when it comes to someone who's in ministry, for example, you'll see churches that encourage their pastors to live lives of extravagance. And the reason they do is because it's like, well, this is a man of God and, you know, God's got a mansion ready for me. And so I don't mind if my pastor drives a nice car or has a really nice home. And I, I go, okay, well, I get that. And I, I can see that point. It's not for me necessarily. But then there's the question of, you know, what do we value? What do we place tremendous value on? And, you know, let's face it, here in the People's Republic of California, we have so many different climate styles. People say, California, oh, yeah, the beach, man, San Diego, L.A., Orange County, yeah, I got the beach. But then you remember, well, God did something very interesting when he created the United States or this part of North, what we call North America in that there's a the, the Pacific Ocean, gorgeous, the shoreline, for the most part, gorgeous, and then maybe an hour by car inland, and all of a sudden you're in the mountains. And then you go further east and you're in the desert. And you begin to see all this crazy terrain. And of course, let's not get started with Colorado. But California in particular right now is under the microscope because it, it doesn't seem to matter when this happens, whenever one of these uh, uh, atmospheric uh, rivers happens or whatever. I get people from outside the state saying, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, we are okay. We get rain. It's amazing how many people are under the impression that California doesn't get any rain because we're always in, quote unquote, drought conditions. Now, this is where the semantics are really important to understand for us as Christians. First of all, the, the semantics in Genesis 1 and 2, where we, re, where, where we read the creation story attributed to Moses, uh, writing all this down for us, and he talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, and the fish and the plants, etc., etc., created by mankind and then charged Adam with the responsibility of caring for all creation, naming all the animals and making sure all the plants of the garden were taken care of. It, etc. Basically, that mandate has not been rescinded. So may I say first and foremost, when we look at the arguments about climate change and global warming or cooling or you know whatever it's going on, first and foremost, we take all the politics aside, take all the e-commerce and green commerce aside, take that out of the picture, and take a look at what Scripture says. Scripture says mankind was created to provide fellowship for God and to care for all creation. Full stop. So when someone says, well, I'm a climatologist or I'm a this, that, and the other thing, and someone else says, well, I'm a Christian. Okay, Christians should not be anti-science on this matter. I think the science is pretty well settled that creation was created by God and needs to be cared for. Where it gets dicey is that how we care for creation. I mean, it's kind of a trip when you think about it. We live in basically a desert in California. And that desert has, uh, well, what did Jerry Dunphy used to say? From the desert to the sea to all of Southern California, good evening. Um, he didn't say it like that, but I mean, that's what he used to, that was his signature sign on. When you heard somebody say that, you know, it was Jerry Dunphy on CBS and then eventually on uh, KCAL 9. Uh, and, and one of those guys who, I don't know how old Jerry was, but seeing him with white hair as a kid, he just always looked really ancient to me. That was back, that was back, you know, when someone in their twenties could be considered an adult. Boy, now adolescence ends at 27. So that's a whole different conversation. And that's not a slam at people who are that age. That's just what the culture has done. But it was interesting that when you look at the terrain that we have with mountains and rivers and seas, and of course, deserts, um, we've seen the 
politicians take over the conversation with regard to the environment, with regard to how much food we would or wouldn't have, uh, the zero population growth uh, scams of 50 years ago. You know, we're not going to have enough food and we're not going to have enough land. And what are we going to do? And here we are. You know, the population has more than doubled over the past 50 years. We have plenty of food because we're making a lot of it. And we somehow have plenty of space for people to live because have you been to the desert recently? People are living some pretty good lives in some pretty nice homes, you know, in the desert regions in Arizona, Nevada, and stuff like that. But one of the marvels of modern scientific technology is the fact that when rainfall falls, we do have ways of capturing it. Some people have wells or little reservoirs or you know, buckets or whatever you want to uh, put them into. Recently, and I found this in the Modesto B, the series of atmospheric river storms that hit the central coast have pushed another San Luis Obispo County reservoir to full capacity. Now, let me put this in perspective. Whale, ro- wa- <laughs> Whale Rock Reservoir, your Kyokus, it's in the northern coast area has picked up 3.5 billion, with a B, gallons of water since January 1st. Now, that's according to data from the city of San Luis Obispo. It now holds 38,967 acre-feet of water. What does that represent in terms of storage capacity, you might ask? I'll be happy to tell you. Today, the capacity is at 93.5%. On January 1st, the capacity was 72.1%. By a couple days after that reading counted, the reservoir's water reached the top of the dam and was literally flowing over into the spillway. Now, Whale Rock was completed in 1961. The last time it spilled over was 20 years ago. 2004-2005 winter season. In the 60-plus years that the Whale Rock Reservoir has been in operation in San Luis Obispo, it's only spilled over 13 times. It has a relatively small watershed. It's fed by creeks instead of rivers, and that means a much smaller volume of water enters the reservoir during heavy rain events. So they don't necessarily maximize it, in terms of where the water comes from. But basically, because of the droughts, the reservoirs typically remained far below the top. Uh, in May of 2019, you remember we had some good rain there, got to be about 90% of capacity. But when you take at that reservoir, and take a look at that one, and plus the one at Santa Margarita Lake, which has been overflowing since January, that one has been at 111% of capacity, which means it's spilling over. Lopez Lake is up to 76% of capacity. Lake Nasamiento is at 83%. You get the idea. It's a lot of rain happening, a lot of rain falling. And part of the reason we see the flooding that we do is because the storage drain units aren't necessarily deep enough to handle it. But the reservoirs, why is it that we get these torrential rains and all of a sudden what we hear from state officials is, well, we still don't have the drought problem solved because, well, the drought problem isn't solved. I could tell you why. I mean, I'm not even a scientist or a climatologist, and I can tell you why the drought problem is still problematic in places like Central California. And what can we as Christians do about it? Well, I'll tell you what, it's Super Tuesday. It involves you voting. 
I'll tell you why coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Just a few moments left for you to call in and uh, stake your claim for the one copy of John Bevere's outstanding book on uh, spiritual warfare and and your faith, taking your faith from uh, fire insurance salvation to lordship salvation. And if you've ever wondered why Jesus says, you know, on the last days, people are going to say, look, we cast out demons in your name. We fed the hungry and clothed the homeless. And, you know, we, we, we were Bible teachers and we led people to faith in Christ. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, which is heartbreaking. But it's because so many people have fallen in love with the God that they've created not God as he really is, not Jesus as he really is. And the book we've been talking about is called The Awe of God, The Astounding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. The link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We've been talking about this issue in San Luis Obispo County, California, uh, the reservoir there, and the fact that we have... A, a reservoir that has been filled to overflowing at Whale Rock Reservoir near Cayocas in the northern coast of San Luis Obispo County. It's picked up 3.5 billion gallons of rainwater since January 1st and went from 72% capacity being full to being filled to 93.5% capacity. It went over the top last weekend. It's only spilled 13 times since its completion 60 years ago, back in 1961. There are other, I mean, it hasn't been in capacity in four years, and even then it was at 90%. And yet we're being told we're not saving a lot of rainwater. Why is that? Well, the simple fact is, did you hear when White Rock Reservoir was built? 1961. Another reservoir at Santa Margarita Lake, it's overflowing. The lake's at 111% capacity, but... That hasn't been built recently. As a matter of fact, California has not built a new reservoir since 1979. We're talking 44 years with no reservoir. So the same politician and politicians, starting with uh, uh, Governor Mussolini, standing up in front of California saying, we still have a drought, we need federal funding. We need dams and reservoirs, and we need them quickly. 
God gave us plenty of rain with these atmospheric rivers that have been falling. And what did we do? We didn't store any of it. Oh, sure, some of it went into the ground, but we had to make sure we had 30 million gallons flushing the non-existent Delta smelt fish into the ocean. But here we are, brothers and sisters, the one thing that we could do first and foremost is to elect good candidates in this area who will care for creation and then vote for these measures when they do in fact come up. When we the people have a chance to vote in and say we want the new reservoirs built, we have to take action. We can't wait for a couple of good, I remember California Assemblyman Tim Donnelly became a good friend in the early days of this program. And Tim was a one-man patriot wrecking crew, Christian guy. But, there, you know, I don't know how many times I would see the vote being in the California Assembly. There's 80 seats. It'd be 79 to 1. And the one dissenting voice was Tim. <laughs> yes. Did his best. Now he's back to working in the private sector. We have to pay attention to these issues when they come up. Of course, I'll do my recommendations for next year's presidential election that'll have some implications. And who's working now to get another measure on the ballot to get another reservoir or two or four built in California? God sends us the rain. We have to be creative with how we store it. Think of Joseph and Pharaoh and Egypt and the famine. And what did they do? God said, you're going to get seven years of prosperity and you're going to get seven years of famine. And with that advanced warning, they took necessary measures and survived. We can do the same. We have to be listening to what God's telling us, though. That is good news of the gospel, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming up next. For those who remain, we're going to get off of the water issue and get into the desert and find out why one community in Southern California is actually going to take a spin at possibly trying to go super green. But that super green could leave them dry as a bone in the desert. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show, or welcome to The Bottom Line Show. I always like to say that at the start of each half hour. Uh, statistically, we know a lot of bottom line listeners can listen for a half hour at a time. Uh, we do the kind of, we, the program's on 90 minutes a day. We kind of do three half hour versions of it uh, that air each and every day. So welcome to half hour number three, or welcome back, if you're listening to the whole thing, to The Bottom Line Show. Uh, and I hope we... Uh, <laughs> Got through all the calls for John Bevere's book. Boy, that uh, The Awe of God is just an amazing book, and I'm really enjoying reading it and uh, had a wonderful time talking with John Bevere about it. Highly recommend it to you. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. You know, one of the ways that we recognize, you know, we, we talk about how God is an awesome God, but do we serve him? Do we, I mean, literally is Jesus Christ Savior and Lord? I do believe that there are people who have had their ticket punched, that Jesus Christ is their savior, but because he is not their Lord of every aspect of their lives, that they basically have purchased what we would call fire insurance back in the day. Just meant you escape the, the hells of uh, the, the fires of hell, but that's about it. There's no crown of life. There's no, I mean, the crown of life has no jewels on it. And you really don't get the kind of <laughs> uh, enjoyment of heaven that other people do who have served God very faithfully. And then there are other people, quite frankly, who never met Jesus face to face, but they learned a lot about him and they spent time telling other people about him and they might have led countless people to faith in Christ. And they are in slumber right now anticipating that when the role is called up yonder and when God places everyone, he's in the bema seat and he's judging, 
the living and the dead, uh, they're going to be very surprised to find out that what they're going to hear from Jesus. I mean, this has to be the people have said things to me that I haven't appreciated. I'm sure I've said things to people that they haven't appreciated, but I think one of the most awful experiences that will happen is not for the unbeliever. You know, the unbeliever says, I'm choosing the highway to hell. All my friends are going to be there. I don't care. I mean, unfortunately, they made their choice a long time ago and God gave them over to that decision. And then there are people, of course, who, and I, my Lutheran friends will get angry with me for saying this, but have decided they're going to live like a believer and turn their back on the deceiver. And uh, to quote the Michael Card song, and they'll say, no, that's decision theology. and You can't just will yourself into it. I don't believe anybody wills himself into it, but in the same way, when Jesus asks a person in scripture, do you want to be healed? They have to answer the question, yes. They have to make a decision that when Jesus extends the offer, that they're going to receive it. We go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, which is that we're sinners. We're born sinful into a sinful, fallen world. We cannot free ourselves. But since God so loved the world, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for the sin of mankind. All sin, past, present, and future upon him. He took that sin and death, shouldered it, and canceled it, basically defeated it. And now if you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead to pay the penalty for your sin, that the penalty's been paid and the record is wiped clean, then you'll be saved, not by anything that you did, but by the, uh, the decision that you made to receive the gift. And it's a decision to receive it. Uh, my friend, Pastor Rob Warren, uses this analogy, and it might be, <laughs> it might be a little tender if you had money at Silicon Valley, Valley Bank, but he used to say, he put it this way, he said, do you believe that a bank has a million dollars in it? Yeah, I do. Okay, sure. I mean, hopefully they do. We, we operate under the illusion that they do anyway. But then what would you do about it? Well, I wouldn't go there unless I had an account there, unless I had made deposits there and I would take money out based on what I'd put in. Obviously couldn't take out more than I did put in. Okay, now what if I told you that there's that bank down the street has a million dollars in it and that million dollars is in an account with your name on it? You want to go get it? And you say, oh, absolutely, I'm going to go get it. Did you do anything to deserve that million dollars? No. Did you do anything to get the million dollars in there? No. But it's there with your name on it. And that's what the gift of salvation is like. It's Jesus Christ saying, look, here is your long list of sins that you've committed, things you've done, things you've left undone. Here is the long list of how much the charges are and for your future sins too. And you'll never be able to satisfy that. Now, how would you like to square that up with God? Because you have to settle it up with God. And then he says, let me, let me tell you what I did. I died the death you should have died to pay the penalty for your sin. If you believe that I did that for you and you receive that gift unto yourself, then you will be saved. What do you say? So you have to decide to say yes or no. But you didn't decide that this is how the terms are going to be. You just picked it up. It all starts for us with God so loving the world and sending his only begotten son. But when they were talking about, you know, the, the, the whole experience of this, uh, Luke 11, the Lazarus story and, um, you know, Jesus being just a couple miles away but taking four days to get there and he's dead and buried and wrapped up and stinky and everything and he's talking to Mary and Martha and they said oh I'm so glad you're here but if you'd been here earlier he would die 
but uh, you know, Jesus says she's not dead. And he goes, well, I know in the resurrection, everybody's going to come alive. She believed in the resurrection. And then Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, everybody literally has to die to their sin. But since I paid the penalty for your sin, basically my death covers your death. Sound good? Okay, cool. So now when you emerge in the waters of baptism, and I bless the heart of anybody who says, look, I've been sprinkled and uh, we've sprinkled our baby at eight weeks because that's what they did in the Old Testament and dedicated their children. And I'm telling you, unless you have been immersed, this is one of those places where I've I've gotten older, I've gotten really tough. (laughs) It's gotten really tough on me. Uh, If you're not not immersed in the water, literally going down and being buried in your sin and coming up and washed clean of it, I don't think you can really experience the full presence of Jesus. I honestly believe that. But what does the resurrection mean to you? That's a question that we're asking here at uh, our Southern California affiliate, K-Bright Radio. If you go to kbrightradio.com and use the Contact Us page, we want to hear from you what the resurrection means to you what the renewal of life means to you. Resurrection Sunday is coming up on April the 9th, and I want to hear what you have to say about the resurrection. So you go to kbrightradio.com, hit the Contact Us page, and just jot jot down a few notes, or I think we're going to do some videos for some people. We've got some of our staff have filmed videos. You can see mine um, at thebottomlineshow.com and at kbrightradio.com. Now, if it's easier to do it this way, uh, you know we've got... uh, couple of gals here at uh, K Bright who do a wonderful job answering the phones, uh, Teresa and Crystal. Joel and Todd do a great job of the phones too, but Teresa and Crystal do a really good job. Okay. Um, it's it's fun sometimes if, Teresa, if Crystal was doing something else like she was last week and the phone rang earlier than she thought it was for a contact and a contest. Next thing you know, she goes flying around the corner and <laughs> grabs the phone across the way. It was great to see that enthusiasm. Uh, You can give us a call at a special number and tell us what you think the resurrection means to you. The number is, you ready? You can write this down. It's 800-227-2337. 800-227-2337. Now, you can email us at kbrightradio.com using the contact page, and that'll, you know, help you out there. But call Teresa or Crystal on our special resurrection hotline, which is 800-227-2337. 800-227-2337. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. What does the resurrection mean to you? As we continue, uh, I want to tell you about the resurrection of an economy, potentially, that might be short-term and short-lived. There is a, a movement, of course, to get the whole world on electric vehicles, you know, renewables, as they're called. And the idea of having these renewables available is something that sounds like a great pipe dream, but it requires certain elements, as it were, that are not available readily and not repeatable commercially. I mean, when you take into consideration how many EV batteries there are for standard-sized passenger cars and, and trucks and things of that nature, the idea of switching from electric or switching from gas power to electric power is going to uh, cut tailpipe emissions by a lot. But at what cost? I mean, when the president took office in 2021 and immediately said, all federal vehicles are going to be electric by, was it 2030 or 2035? 
uh, someone had to point out to him that there is not enough electricity on the grid to handle that much electricity just from those cars. And then you've got to build the batteries, and the batteries need lithium. So what if I told you there's a spot in Southern California that actually could potentially become a lithium mine? You know, we've got the Silicon Valley in the Central California, Northern California. What if this part of the country became Lithium Valley? Well, a deal was signed a couple of weeks ago to actually make something like that a reality. It's scheduled to pump several billion dollars into a local economy. But the question is, what will it do to the environment once they're done pumping all the lithium out of the ground? Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program, and we're talking about electric vehicles. And the reason this is a Super Tuesday issue is because I have a feeling that in the 2024 election, whether it be the general election for president, vice president, et cetera, or the local elections for senator and congresspeople, city council, the whole EV situation. How do we get more cars to be on the road to be electric vehicles? Because that's the solution, or so we're told. It'd be interesting to see how many candidates use that as their running device. Now, put this in perspective. The number of batteries that need to be produced is far behind where we are right now. And then there's the issue of the how long can the char- does it take to charge the car? How long does it take for I mean, the car to run out of charge? How does the hot weather versus the cold weather impact your miles per kilowatt hour or whatever it is? And then there's another issue about the environment too that we'll have to look at at the end of this segment, and that is how green friendly are the vehicles in question? And by green friendly, I mean, what kind of toll does it take on the environment to build these puppies? And then are they ashes to ashes biodegradable? Well, let's start at the very beginning. And that's if there's no batteries, there's no electric cars. And if there's no lithium, there's no batteries. So two companies have signed a big deal with up to six geothermal power facilities around the Salton Sea in Imperial Valley. If you're not familiar with the Salton Sea Imperial Valley area, think uh, Palm Springs, Coachella Valley. Uh, the Salton Sea is toward the end of the eastern part of that on your way to Phoenix. Okay, It's a big old desert, and the Salton Sea is kind of a funky place anyway. It just It's not much of a sea. It kind of makes the Dead Sea look alive. 
And a lot of times it just smells funky. I mean, just, if you've ever been out that way, you know what I'm talking about. Controlled Thermal Resources is going to hire Fuji Electric Corporation of America to finish construction of its first plant. Fuji will also provide parts for and possibly build five more plants. The end game, these plants could produce 330 megawatts of steam power and enough lithium for millions of electric car batteries. Now, CTR, Controlled Thermal Resources, declined to disclose whether it has obtained funding for all of this ambitious five-year construction package. Um, the project site, by the way, is referred to as Hell's Kitchen, if you want to get an idea of the terrain, hot, dry, and dusty. But CTR is one of three companies that are currently looking for backing to perfect lithium extraction technology and ramp up geothermal and lithium production in what will soon be known as the Lithium Valley, a.k.a. the Coachella Valley. $1.4 billion agreement right now has been signed. And it's interesting to see how controlled thermal resources will work with Fuji Electric to make this happen. Here's basically what's going to, if you're curious about the nuts and bolts, and I'll be honest with you, I d discovered a little bit of uh, how this works through doing some research. I have not the slightest idea how car batteries work. <laughs> really, honestly don't. I know I have a gasoline-powered car. If there's enough gas in the tank and everything's working right and the oil's in the pan and all that stuff, it works. But when it comes to the electric vehicles, not so much. Among the highlights of understanding controlled thermal resources and their deal, here's what they're going to do. They're going to pump boiling brine from deep beneath the Salton Sea and convert it into up to 330 megawatts of steam power annually. CTR expects to produce an estimated 150,000 metric tons of lithium hydroxide, using part of the power to convert raw lithium salts in the geothermal brine to a marketable product widely used in electric vehicles, battery storage, and cell phones. The commercial-scale lithium could be used in around 2.5 million EV batteries for standard-sized passenger cars. If that is, in fact, what would happen, that would potentially save up to 1 billion gallons of gasoline, apparently per year, and it would reduce vehicle tailpipe emissions by 11.5 million metric tons. That's an annual figure. CTR anticipates completion of stage one of the geothermal uh, facility and the commencement of 25,000 metric tons of lithium hydroxide production in late next year. So clean energy, this is the official uh, announcement from uh, Chief Executive Officer Rod Colwell, uh, a prepared statement from CTR. Today marks the beginning of a clean energy solution. Building these power facilities will support sustainable lithium production, satisfy our clients' increasing lithium requirements, and encourage the battery supply chain industries to join us in California. Now, it's interesting because Fuji Electric is going to handle equipment, procurement, and construction for the new plants. Um, they've been doing this in Japan since 1960. They're kind of the top dog as far as this goes. They now do this on five continents. The Hell's Kitchen project will utilize steam turbine generators and transformers that Fuji has in fact made. 
At the signing ceremony in Tokyo, California Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kronolondis applauded the company's plans. Quote, today's announcement further solidifies California's position as a global climate and economic leader, and it's a huge step toward clean energy future and global decarbonization. Now, take that for what it is as we look at how the left has a tendency to try to claim language and make it their own. Decarbonization. Carbon is bad. Electricity, good, according to the left. Not taking into consideration, of course, that up until recently, as much as 35 to 40 percent of electricity was actually generated by coal. So it was kill the coal industry or make them burn cleaner. Now it's gotten a lot better. I mean, not nearly as much electric uh, power is generated by petroleum, fossil fuels and things of that nature. But you also have to take into consideration who else is carbon-based <clears throat> and <laughs> is all carbon bad carbon. But what is this going to do to the Salton Sea area? I mean, if you've ever been out that way, you know it's literally, you know, the kind of the old spooky Todd and I were talking about this the other day, the dry and dusty, windswept, tumbleweed, dead cacti, carcasses of coyotes. Todd added the broken green glass everywhere. <laughs> Those kind of cliched desert sequences. But what would be the long-term ramifications? I mean, let's not forget that during the beginning of the oil crisis, uh, gasoline price crisis, back in uh, December 21, January 22, President Biden was prepared to, and I believe at one point actually did suspend a mining ordinance that was signed in 1872 that basically had no environmental protections whatsoever. Anyone who wanted to drill for lithium and dig for lithium could do so. And if they wind up ruining the environment, it was no problem. I don't know that they've passed any new legislation. So it's conceivable that our friends at Fuji are going to be using 2023 technology to really ruin the environment. And then when they do, they'll fall back on a law that was passed in 1872. I mean, back in 1872, you know what that was? That's Pappy Parker, right? And Red Long Johns. And I mean, <laughs> out there digging the mines with burrows and all that type of stuff. No one was paying attention to the environment back then. Those are the laws that are going to govern this right now. And quite frankly, as I mentioned earlier, on your way out to that area, you'll pass wind turbines. They were all the rage many years ago, and they do generate a certain amount of electricity. In some countries, I believe they're generating more than not. Some states, what is it, Nebraska or something like that, gets like 75% of its energy from geothermal. Remember, Texas was getting a lot before that ice storm a year or so ago. But did you know that every one of those turbines is non-recyclable, does not have an infinite lifespan, and when it does go under, it costs something like a half a million dollars per turbine just to disengage it, to decommission it, and then they have nowhere to put it. So how green is all this electric, geothermal, sustainable technology if we can't do anything with the equipment once it's gone. Well, maybe the demand for electric batteries is so strong that the, the, the demand will outstrip the environmental concerns and make it a better place. To which I respond, oh yeah? <laughs> Some more analysis coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But 
The first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Analysis, balance, and clarity segment regarding the $1.4 billion deal signed by Control Thermo Resources, CTR, and the Fuji Corporation to take on the Salted Sea out the, the east part of the Coachella Valley in, uh, in the, the Riverside County area and uh, basically turn it into what they call Lithium Valley because the demand for electronic vehicles, uh, you heard the California Lieutenant Governor saying, we need to decarbonize. Okay, well, let's talk about the demand though for electric vehicles, because if people don't want them, creating a bunch of batteries isn't going to force them to do it. Uh, a recent report from Fox Business was just looking at the number of cars that are basically on electric mode. Uh, let's take, for example, Rivian. You ever seen Rivian before? I've seen them advertised in certain places. As a matter of fact, on my way to the studio last week, last Tuesday, I think it was, a Rivian truck almost ran me off the road. So I'm very well aware of Rivian Automotive. Uh, they've been having recall problems, which is unfortunate. Production costs keep rising. And in the fourth quarter of 2022, Rivian saw a net loss of $1.72 billion. Now, that is lower than the $2.46 billion loss during the same period in 2021. But they had to recall 12,000 electric trucks and SUVs. 89% of all those produced through September had a faulty sensor in the front passenger seat. And the Wall Street Journal said they had to you know, pull them back in. Then there's Fisker and Tesla. Tesla's Model Y, the low-cost one, sells for about $55,000, but that's only because they've cut the price. Fisker's SUVs cost $38,000. The Rivian comes in around uh, $78,000. But in terms of the tax credit, remember the uh, Biden administration announced there'd be tax credits of up to $7,500 per electric vehicle to spur on the purchasing of them? Rivian was hoping to sell 50,000 vehicles in 2023. They fell well short of that. Uh, they lost $6.75 billion on $1.66 billion overall in 2022. More layoffs, more cutting of spending. It's amazing how when the uh, announcement of the $7,500 tax credit showed up for people who bought an EV made in America, but there's the problem. Not all the batteries are made in America. Not all the parts are made in America. Made in America is not a reality. It's a government distinction. Kind of like organic or 100% pure. 
And so if your car is not made 100% in the U.S., you don't get the $7,500 credit. And oh, by the way, Ford Motor Company, once the $7,500 tax credit for the electric car was, was announced last year, announced that their electric Ford F-150 was having a price increase. Guess how much the price increase was? Did you say $7,500? We can't force this on people, ladies and gentlemen. And in the same way that a lot of people said, I'm going to wait for the vaccine until we figure out if it really is a vaccine for COVID, um, people are doing the same thing with electric vehicles. If you drive one, I have a couple of kids who do, they love them. Good for them. If you want to buy an electric car, by all means, buy one. You figure out how to get it charged. I mean, I can fill my tank in less than five minutes. I could not charge my car in less than an hour. If I think, okay, my car payment is this, and look at all the money I'm saving on gas, but I'm charging my car at home, my electric bill is going to go through the roof. I mean, there are certain trade-offs. And then there's the whole green part of it. Yeah, they lower tailpipe emissions, but at what cost? How much more non-recyclable non-biodegradable pollution are we creating because once these things go under it's not like you could put a new engine in and go I mean, well you can but the engine replacement is very expensive all in all genesis tells us the book of genesis that we do have a command to care for all creation but when it gets politicized and if we're not careful we could very easily find ourselves supporting a government policy or a business policy that's pretty immoral All I can say to this is choose wisely, my friends. Be a good steward, love God, and care for his creation. He'll let you know if you're doing it the way that he wants it done. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.